The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Thursday, March 5th, 2020, and you are tuned in to HTM Sports, presented here by the HTM Podcast Network Online, HittingTheMarks.com, and Hameen Media Online, HackerHameen.Podbean.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to HTM Sports. Sports fans, it's me, it's me. It's that auto the beat of the V, Rick Vickery. Feels oh so good to be back again. Hashtag HTM Sports. Now, Jargo, you know, it, it's it's well known around the world of sports. You, you see it from, you know, the major talking heads right on down to, to our lowly asses. Uh, this is the time of year to take a little bit of a break, take a little step back. Is This thing seems to be on the low, but they're, they're picking back up again. We're getting ready. Hey, the madness is, is always of March, and then we're going to ride that right into April. I mean, hell, what do we got? We got college basketball. We've got the draft just around the corner. We've got major league baseball, NBA playoffs. And the, the hustle's about to be on. Yeah, things are definitely going to be picking back up. But yeah, you're right. Right now, it is certainly that kind of lull in the sports season. And, and you'll see it again, like kind of towards like the end of July, when you're right in the middle of the dog days of summer. That's when all the talking heads start taking time off. And we kind of take time off. And really, there just hasn't been a whole lot to talk about. So we kind of just piled a whole bunch of stuff up and we get to talk about you know, the NCAA and boxing and the NFL and the NBA and so at least we get to kind of throw all these stories together you brought up the NCAA Rick I don't remember a college basketball season that I have been so disinterested in the in the NCAA and it's interesting because inside of the NBA we hear all this talk about how dynasties are bad for the league. The Warriors were bad for the league, and those Lakers teams were bad for the What the league needs is more parity. We need everybody to be so much closer, so things are so much more competitive. And that's very much what we have in the world of the NCAA basketball this year. And I hate it. It's like any given team can be beaten at any given moment. Like Kansas is starting to separate maybe a little, but... I just feel like this entire season is just kind of meh. And I think, you know, when we're looking at college basketball, Jerry, and I have to agree with you 100%, Jargo. And, I, and I, I continually find myself thinking about this is, is I, I don't remember the last time I've ever felt so down about a particular, you know, college basketball season, especially you can find reasons at least to get behind your team. Yes. You know, it's, you know, week in, week out, I'm there following the Blue Devils. But even in, inside of that bubble itself, I, I find myself losing a little bit of interest as, it, as we're quickly here approaching March Madness and, and the big tournament, conference tournaments right around the corner here. We've got plenty of great races still in the regular season, you know, looking for those conference titles that are happening there. But it's just kind of a blah. And I really think it, it, it kind of speaks to society in general. And I know this is going to be a harsh pill for some to swallow, but diversity doesn't necessarily equate to positivity because when everything is the same, nothing is special. And I think that holds especially true here for college baseball season. Where are the stars? 
Yeah. Where are those people that were really, that were really looking forward to, to watching night in night out, seeing how they handle themselves here, you know, under the, the spotlight of college basketball and watching them grow going forward. Having true mega stars is not, it, it shouldn't be frowned upon this, this 50, 50 booking, if you will, ultimately is we're pro wrestling guys. It's what's killing that industry. And now I think you're starting to see that in some of sports, especially here in college basketball. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, man. 50-50 booking just kind of turns everybody off. I um, mean, as you look at this thing, I mean, we've had, you know, here, Ohio State, you know, at one point, you know, going back to the college football season, you're looking at where, you know, the football program and the basketball program are both in the in the top four, top five in the country. And, and now they have fallen off. They're barely in the top 25. Regularly, you see these top-ranked schools. I'll, I'll just use Duke, so it doesn't seem like we're picking on anyone. Okay, they look okay. That's that's Duke basketball. Now we're here. Now we're serious about a national contender. And then you know the next night to go out there and get blown out of the building by thirty to a mediocre team that's a that's on the bubble. And you see that across the board. It also doesn't help that you have perennial powerhouse North Carolina as down as I think I've ever seen them. Like, yeah, it's fun being a Duke fan and everything, but, you know, part of being a Duke fan is rooting against the rival, in our case, North Carolina. When it comes to college football, you know, Ohio State and Michigan, they're, you're not only pulling for Ohio State, a lot of times you're pulling against Michigan, whether you really want them to lose and how beneficial that is for you. But, like, I want Carolina to lose every fucking game they play. But now that they are losing a majority of the games that they're playing... It just sucks. Like, I want Carolina to be really good so that when we beat them, it actually means something. Well, and that's why I've always been. And, you know, I always get people kind of give me that strange look when I say that. When you ask me who my second favorite teams are, you know, I'll throw out there. Oh, basketball, it's the Tar Heels and football, it's the Wolverines. Because believe me, I would want I would want North Carolina to go out there in, 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 a, in a perfect season. For me, they would lose four games. And those four losses all come at the hands of the Blue Devils. You betcha. I mean, to me, that is the ultimate humiliation. You know, in football, every week, you know, here in Ohio, I get, oh, I'm, oh, I'm rooting against the Wolverines. Well, first of all, that makes no sense at all because we need strength of schedule and we need to bolster ourselves when we do, you know, go into that big last week as Buckeye fans. You, you want them to be riding high. It makes you look better if and when you eventually beat them. And how how. Sweet would it be for a Buckeye fans knowing that if year in, year out, Michigan only had one loss and that would prevent them from accomplishing anything. And it came at the hands of the Ohio State Buckeyes. How sweet would that be? And that's one of the, the great dynamics about college sports and those rivalries there that those wins and losses inside of those rivalries mean so much not just personally for the players or the, you know, the universities themselves and ultimately the fans, but really the success of the programs of of the actual teams in that moment. Absolutely. And we we were seeing it in the NBA. Like there's two teams right now that absolutely stink and people want to know why ratings are down. Well, ratings are down because all the good teams are on the West coast, which means the East coast isn't watching anybody. And it is solely the responsibility of the New York Knicks and the Chicago Bulls. They stink. 
And when those two teams are good, along with the Lakers and the Celtics, the Houston Rockets, the Dallas Mavericks, the Miami Heat, when those teams are good, the league is better and there's more eyes on the league. It's that simple. And the Knicks are a freaking embarrassment. We're going to talk about the Knicks a little bit later when it comes to Spike. I mean, good God. You ran like the biggest fan in the world of the New York New York Knicks out of the garden. Like, what the fuck are you doing, James Dolan? Well, you know, at this point here, at least, you know, if you're the NBA and you're looking for those headlines, you're trying to drum up that interest. And, you know, the NBA is they have taken a much different approach in in how they, they target their demographics and their marketing strategies as they realize, you know, they are they are really trying to appeal towards that that younger millennial, the the cord cutters. So at least now they, they do have something in New York that is drumming up some interest. Unfortunately, it has nothing to do with what's going on, wins and losses on the court, and ultimately going to to bolster their financials. But at least they're getting some attention back on the Big Apple. And you, you look at the, you know the best record in the NBA, uh, arguably, you know the home of the MVP. They have been a tremendous franchise for years building this thing here. But the reality of the situation is because of the marketplace and your national and more so international reach is you're not going to win league-wise with the Milwaukee Bucks. Yep. It's it's not going to work out with, you know, a Memphis team. Yep. Even a, a Charlotte. Uh, and when you get down to, you know, in the East, as you said, Jargo, outside of those two major markets – in Chicago and New York, there really is not much to work with. In Miami. I will say Miami. Uh, yes, Miami, you are you are correct. And Boston, because people will watch the Celtics. You yeah, know. you know, really you're, you're right. And you know how you know what? And yes, I, I will take back what I said there. You've got Boston, you've got Miami. I think you could even stretch it's a, maybe a, a, a it's trailing those, but if you have success there in Detroit. But even in just this conversation here, see, you mentioned those. I mean, how sad is it that those aren't even on my radar? Yeah. Yeah. And and Jason Tatum's just lighting the freaking league on fire right now. It's ridiculous what that kid's doing. Um, let's go ahead. Let's get into the show here uh, and start in the world of boxing because Huckleberry, it is official. Wilder versus Fury 3 is going down on July 18th. This fight is happening already. Um Wilder invokes the rematch clause for the WBC heavyweight championship. And then Fury is saying that after he puts Wilder down again, he is going to fight Anthony Joshua to unify all of the heavyweight championships. Joshua 23 and one with 21 knockouts. He's currently holding the WBA, IBF, WBO and IBO heavyweight titles. Uh, those are all titles that Tyson Fury had stripped from him. He did not lose them. So he claims that Joshua is an illegitimate champion and now that he has the WBC heavyweight championship it's time to unify all these belts and then he's gonna fucking retire then he's gonna retire Rick this is so fucking boxing yeah absolutely uh, the short the short term here let's let's try to get everything we can out of this milk that cash cow and then go back seemingly to to a bare cupboard uh, as as we're sitting here talking right now, you listen those three names. Why are we not getting exposure? Why are they not getting on this hype machine to start, you know, start drumming up some interest? 
profiling. You know, I think we need at least half a dozen or so true recognizable names for this division to continue to thrive. We cannot just keep going, hopefully on finding a personality fight by fight, introducing at that point of this thing once the you know, once again reigns supreme, just not in the world of boxing, but all of sport. Are you excited for Wilder versus Fury three after seeing Wilder versus Fury two? Yeah, I, I really did enjoy that hype and and I felt down not 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 necessarily because of the fight itself or the outcome or anything on that. Uh, but you know, you and I, as we look at things from the marketing perspective and the the entertainment value and what it means for financials inside television or pay-per-view, whatever it might be, you know, I thought we put together a pretty sound plan about, you know, what's next for this division? What do you need to do moving forward? And sadly enough, we haven't seen a whole lot of that. So I do feel disappointed. And and I did want these guys to to possibly hold off a year or so on this fight to kind of let that thing fester. So let everyone just let it sink in the intensity and how excited they truly were this last time around. And now it seems like they're rushing to the well. And I say that more from a marketing standpoint of what could be, but I absolutely understand in the world of boxing, it is best sometimes to strike while the iron is hot because nothing is, is granted to you. There are no 100% surefire satisfiers that it's going to be a viable option. So especially, if, you know, if I'm in Wilder shoes and you've seen so many of the experts out there, you know, saying, okay, maybe you go a different direction, work a couple other fights, build back to this. That's great. You know, if, if everything works out there, yes, the payday is astronomical. But if he takes one on the chin and someone hits that button on him, then it's all over. So I can understand why they're going to get this payday. I'm just wondering, you know, if I'm sitting there on the board, if I'm in a commissioner's role here, anybody, a promoter, I, I'm still really pushing to, to move forward for an entire division and hold off on this return bout. Uh, but then again, you know, you, you have you have Fury out there saying, I only got two more in me. It, it seems, I don't know, it, it doesn't really seem as, as if the right hand is working with the left hand. And obviously, pun intended here, when you're in a combat sport like boxing, you, you need that to go down for success. What did you make of the fight itself? We haven't really had a chance to talk about it. I've talked about it a little bit. Um, it, it reminded me of the Rumble in the Jungle. It reminded me of when a much younger and a much more in shape George Foreman fought Muhammad Ali, and Ali just whipped his ass. Like, I don't feel like it necessarily proved definitively that Ali was the better fighter. I feel like he just got on Foreman and that was it. As soon as Wilder got that eardrum busted, the equilibrium was off and he didn't stand a snowball's chance in hell. Tyson Fury just stood there and beat him up. If he doesn't get his eardrum broken, that's a very, very different fight. Like, I don't know how much I, accomp I, I, I put on saying Tyson Fury was absolutely definitively the better fighter that night. You know, ifs and buts, the sample line just recently used by Paul Heyman, you know, if if my aunt had nuts, she'd be my uncle. You know, that's the fight game. You got to be prepared for that. You're going to have something like that go awry on you. And yes, when it did, Tyson Fury jumped all over that. As he was well able he to should. Expose, yes, he was able to expose that, that injury. He maintained his game. And, you know, going in there, that's kind of his strategy. He's going to pick you apart. He's going to try to break you down. And then target, target those areas and continue to wear on those. That's that's his strategy going into these fights. 
and he executed to perfection and it played out for him. And, and now you get wider. Yes. You've inside of the fight, you had the, the eardrum and now we're getting some other excuses that maybe, you know, the pageantry got to him. Well, I put where, that, that's all bullshit, right? Yeah. See, I, it, to me, yes, that's again, it, you're trying to make some excuses here and maybe not excuses, but justify more so justify the reason for rushing back into into a rematch here. I mean, the eardrum thing makes a hell of a lot of sense to me. I, I get that again. But it, it's one of those fluke, fluke accidents that's going to happen, those injuries. But I'm not going to sit here and, and let that weigh on the outcome of this fight. Tyson Fury went in there, executed his game plan, had things fall in his favor, and he wore him down. It took... I don't want to say took advantage of, but he utilized the situation and his surroundings to benefit himself. The other thing that stood out to me at the fight was that boxing is kind of the WWE. When they brought out Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield and Mike fucking Tyson, that place came unglued. Tyson was the biggest star in the building that night. It certainly wasn't Tyson Fury or Wilder. You know, I was, I was really giving some thought to that, and maybe this is, you know, we can do a plug here for the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast or a conversation we can have Monday in the locker room with the Hameen Media Group, hackerhameen.popping.com, hittingthemarks.com. But, you know, WWE in itself, they get a lot of ridicule for relying on those older talents and those nostalgia pops. Uh, but as we've seen, you know, that's across professional wrestling. Uh, I know you haven't sat down and watched Dynamite quite yet, uh, but I'm sure you, you you read up on it so that you can see the headlines, see what's if it's worth your time or what kind of investment you should put towards it. Uh, but you, you get Jake the Snake involvement, which is causing a great deal of buzz for all elite wrestling. Uh, we've seen Tully Blanchard involved, Arn Anderson, just the nostalgia acts of going back in things that are so reminiscent of WCW. But I don't think it's just to professional wrestling. We see that in all of sports. As you mentioned here, Jarko, we've seen this in boxing. You see the pop and the excitement that creates. I think it's even fair to say that we see that in in the NFL is we're getting ready here for the draft and in all the talk that's going on around that. You know, who's out there? Who's analyzing that? Who's talking about these stars? Uh, I know he's a head coach now, but you know, back in when he was in working as a in the comment the commentary aspect in Monday Night Football to have an opportunity to sit down with John Gruden. I mean, isn't that the same as using uh, at that time someone had stepped away? a legend of sorts to give the rub to newer, younger talent. I don't think it's anything that should be a foreign concept across the board. It's, it's a proven tactic that works when you're trying to establish uh, these newer names and, and give them a bit of credibility. You bring up Gruden. How about CBS paying Tony Romo $17 million a year? Woo. Get that money, Tony, get that money. 17 million. Let's talk about this uh, NFL CBA. Uh, Rick, as of 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this morning, the final language was all set up and the ballots have been sent out to the players. The voting window will stay open for seven days, uh, is what is told to ESPN's Dan Granzanio. Um, I don't, we have talked about this CBA until we've kind of been blue in the face and we've talked about all of the things that it's going to do. This thing's going to run through 2030. It takes place immediately if this thing passes through the players because the owners have already approved it. 
So it's basically an 11 year deal because it's replacing the final year of the current CPA and then 10 years thereafter. They, at some point, are going to negotiate a new TV contract inside of this deal. And that's really what it all comes down to. That's why they want to extend everything to 17 games. But one of the things that I haven't heard discussed at all, and that I'm very interested to see when it comes to this whole 17 games, how's that going to work? Because right now, you have eight home games and you have eight road games. So what's the 17th game? You got to go to London and play the Jaguars? Like... Who's going to get the home game? Who's going to get the road game? One of the owners is going to get screwed. Is there going to be two bye weeks? Is there going to be one bye week? I haven't heard any final language on any of this. I will tell you, as you talk about those, those ballots are going out, they're, they're casting their votes. You know what? Super Tuesday, Biden, Bernie, Gonberg. I don't care about any of that. This is the voting cycle that I'm intrigued with. This is the one that matters in 2020 for me. Talking about the, the CBA for the NFL. But as you said, Jargo, I mean, there's so much that's that's kind of left out there that we, the the general fan base or the the media, if you will, we could we'll hype ourselves up on that, uh, that we really don't know about this right now. Uh, this, I'll tell you what, the 17 game, what you got to, I, I wonder what really gets me is is now the the profit sharing here between the teams themselves uh, as they get to a point as you're factoring in that extra, that extra game, do they necessarily care about where it's played at? As long as there's that, that pie is being sliced up 32 ways for those owners. Well, absolutely. It makes a difference to me because I, I want a, more of the profit revenue sharing from a Dallas home game on a Sunday night than I do a Cincinnati Bengals well, home game at noon. That's what I'm absolutely saying. So in a league, when you're building your scheduling and you're looking at television, you're keeping that in mind. So, yes, the teams like a, a Green Bay, Dallas, that you know that you can get that higher ticket value for. Los Angeles, the Steelers, the Bears, the Giants, the Jets. Yeah. So you're going to be in and, and fans will see that and they'll feel slighted in certain ways here. Uh, but that's going to be a reality of it. You're not, you know, and if that is the directive they're going in, the direction that they're going in, then, yeah, teams like Cincinnati, Jacksonville, they're not going to get those extra games there. Now, now, what it does interest me is, you know, right now, you look at the, you, you look across the board, the lowest attendance in, in the league, take out the soccer stadium. I'll, I'll speak to it right here. It's in Cincinnati. Of a, of a legit NFL stadium, we are by far the lowest in attendance. Uh, it's absolutely, it's abysmal. It's embarrassing. The way the league is set up for the most part across the board, and it's something that Mike Brown, he obviously, you know, he, he relies on. They could damn near play in an empty stadium and still be profitable for each franchise. And, and where, but where he does make his individual money, and you do see this for the different owners, which, you know, possibly, I, I guess he's already agreed to this or whatever's in place here, but a Jerry Jones would lose out on by paying a Mike Brown is in if he would have to end up sharing fees from luxury boxes. As that is where each of the, the each of the franchises seem to, they can make their claim for their own chunks of change. Right. 
Um, also included inside of this new CBA is the revenue split between the owners and the players. The players will go up to at least 48%. There is potential for them to go up to, I want to say it's 48.8% with a couple of different incentives when it comes to the new TV deal. And the other big thing, at least from my perspective, because I don't care about the players smoking weed, is they're expanding the playoff to seven teams per conference. So what this is going to do is suddenly only the one seed is going to get a bye and the two seed is going to have to play that first round of the playoffs. Rick, I don't like this at all because if you expand these playoffs, you are going to have sub 500 teams making the playoffs. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys would have made the playoffs this year. Did they deserve to be in the playoffs? Hell fucking no. They didn't earn their way into the playoffs this year. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm more leaning towards you here. I will say that if they are going to expand this thing, and, it, and, and let's take it at face value, this is a money grab. This is absolutely what it is. They're looking at it is that, that playoff football is much more exciting than the regular season. Uh, but again, I, I, I do want to see and play out, you know, is this going to devalue, let's say, week 15, 16, and 17, or those last three weeks now that we're getting the extra week inside of the NFL, where you do see these teams trying to make a chase for the playoffs. Uh, as we go back to this last season, I mean, it those last three weeks were very exciting across the board for positioning and who's actually going to be going to that postseason dance. I will give them a little bit of credit here. Obviously, they're going for that money move. Adding the seven teams, I do like that they are eliminating one of the buys so that only that top seed. So it will add some importance that that will create more interest and intrigue around that chase for the top seed. Knowing that if you fall to that number two, there's a good chance you might be embarrassed by a sub 500 team picking you off. Yeah, not to point anybody out, but, you know, Tennessee Titans. Yes. You know, it's. It, I'm, I'm just glad that when they did this, they didn't try to back end it and structure this thing like Major League Baseball, where you would have had like the six and seven in like a, a play in sort of type game. Here's a perfect example because this would have happened. If this would have been in place this season, the Dallas Cowboys would have made the playoffs. And that first week of the playoffs, they would have went to Green Bay, Wisconsin. And they would have beat the Green Bay Packers on the road at Lambeau because that Green Bay defense was shot by that point in the season. You saw what San Francisco did to him, for God's sake. Now, do, do you have the standings from last year handy right there? Um, No, but I can have them here pretty quickly. Okay, because, you know, in theory, as we're saying that, yes, you know, for the league, and we're talking about big markets and big franchise, it, what do you say, Dallas? That seems like a positive. Uh, I was just curious, you know, like who would been who would have been on that AFC side? Uh, I'm, I'm almost thinking, you know, Pittsburgh. But you're going to have those those situations like that that come you know come into play. But you know, what if it is a market that doesn't add any value and they come in here and disrupt disrupt the system? That overall, up to the point now with this thing, they are going to move forward. That I will give it a chance with the the playoff expansion to see how it's going to move those financials, what it's going to do for the advertising, what it's going to do, you know, for the ratings and advertising, ticket sales, overall, your merchandise, 
I potentially see where this could be a, a positive move. Uh, correct, sense, by the way. It would, it it would have, have been, been Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yep, at 8-8. Eight and eight. Both of those teams would have helped out, would have lent towards some ratings and financials. So, you know, on that argument there, I mean, I, could, I can see why the owners were pushing for this thing. Or using that as a bit of a disguise, you know, behind what they feel is going to, you know, bolster those financials. Interesting. Let's talk about Tom Brady. Uh, Rick, it is picking up steam that there is a potential of Tom Brady going to the San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo returning to the New England Patriots. This rumor is just running rabid through the media right now. Um, There's a couple different ways that this could work. Jimmy G, right now, if the San Francisco 49ers cut him because of the way his contract is phrased, it would be a $4 million hit to the cap. That's it. That's basically nothing. If they would just straight up trade him to the New England Patriots, New England's getting Jimmy Garoppolo at about $25 million a year for the next three years. Bill Belichick would be doing cartwheels if he got Jimmy Garoppolo for the next three years at $25 million a year. Tom Brady would get to go to San Francisco and play for his childhood team and finally be the starting quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. But Rick, there's a problem. If you're the San Francisco 49ers, this doesn't make any fucking sense at all. Why do you move off of 27-year-old Jimmy Garoppolo to bring in 43-year-old Tom Brady? Well, you're you're right, Jerk. I mean, this thing has really just... It's taken on a life of its own. It was the talk of the town yesterday. You, You couldn't turn on sports talk or really any bit of news without getting some sort of mention of this thing. And as you're looking long term, Jimmy G, it's a little bit of a head scratcher why you would you would opt out to go with with the Tom Brady, but it doesn't present a bigger question. Or do they truly believe in him now in San Francisco? Or is he becoming more of a scapegoat? Uh, is what they're you know you can look at these figures here that they they don't really trust him to win games. Are they using him as a scapegoat to cover up really what's fallen on the Niners and where their disappointments? And it, I mean, I know it's crazy to say disappointment. You were so close to winning a Super Bowl and how uh, incredibly difficult that is. But when you look at their struggles over the seasons where they do could improve, I think that falls more on coaching. But it seems to be the quarterback position is taking the blame. To me, when I look at that Super Bowl, they were one play away from winning that Super Bowl. If that defense gets off the field on third and 15, that game is over. People want to rag on Jimmy Garoppolo. If the defense gets off the field on third and 15, he's the MVP of the Super Bowl. Well, I see there's a bigger issue to me. I'm not I don't look at one play. No, I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at one quarter on the side of the Chiefs, but I'm more so in on the side of the 49ers because that's where they lost that game. They were in control. They were heading towards a Super Bowl championship until they fell apart. That falls me ultimately on coaching. That's where they need to be pointing the finger. It's nothing about trying to, you know, where do we fix? You know, where was the hole at? 
where do we need to put the to fix a flat? It's not at the quarterback position. If anything, management should be holding accountable. It is the coaching staff and more particularly the, the head coach at this point. There's one other thing that plays into this, and that is Kirk Cousins. Somehow, Kirk Cousins, the starting quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, is related to this entire Tom Brady saga. And Rick, that is because Kirk Cousins is who San Francisco wanted when they got Jimmy Garoppolo. They wanted to sign Kirk Cousins when Kirk Cousins was a free agent and they couldn't free up the cap space. And they ended up getting Garoppolo after Cousins went to Minnesota. The only thing that would make any sense to me is that Tom Brady goes into San Francisco, plays for two years, on the assumption that they are going to get Kirk Cousins as soon as his contract is up in Minnesota. Well, you know, if, if Jimmy G doesn't happen to be your guy and you really never had that full faith in him going forward, that's one thing. Uh, but to revert all the way back to going with Kirk Cousins – then you really got to question what you know. What's in the water in San Francisco? All the success that they've had here. I mean, this just seems incredibly asinine. Well, and as I look at this, to make it even more asinine, when you watch the San Francisco 49ers, what do they do? It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. There's a lot of motion. There's a lot of resets. That's not what Tom Brady does. Tom Brady goes up to the line and he makes all of his adjustments at the line. The thing is, as the offense is moving around and doing all their motion, so is the defense. Brady's not going to know where anybody's going to be set until after the ball is snapped. And by that time, Brady's already sacked because we all know Tom Brady gets rid of the ball faster than anybody in the NFL. It's like a 2.7 second release. He's not going to be able to do that in San Francisco the way that offense is built. And there's no reason to build a new offense for 43-year-old Tom Brady. I love Tom Brady. Tom Brady's the fucking goat. But no, this doesn't make any sense at all. Let me ask you, you know, this is, you know, the media. I don't know which ones they're they're what they're they're really driving into the ground more here, the coronavirus or uh Tom Brady the, 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 to San Francisco. Well, just Brady anywhere at this point, you know, <laughs> the infectious Brady virus that, that seems to be all over the sports media where he's going. Do you feel it will it ultimately be this huge letdown because of all this hype when and if he eventually just re-ups in New England? Because now we're even getting reports yesterday. Uh, I caught this on the back end of the herd where they, they finally it, it's finally come to where. Belichick and Brady have had their phone conversation, but it did not go well at all. <laughs> they, they did not hang up happy with one another. I mean, that, that's where we're getting to you know, within this story. You know, at the end of the day, all it's going to take is Robert Kraft to make one phone call to Tom Brady and this deal is done. That's it. The boring old Patriots, you know, that's it. That's the whole story. Robert Kraft made a phone call. The end. San Francisco. Ridiculous. Speaking of ridiculous, Rick, this this one hit pretty close to your home. The Cincinnati Bengals franchise tagged A.J. Green. So now A.J. Green, $18 million next season, 
Of course, this year, I think he was injured like 16 games. Um, Rick, I, I just find it a little bit consequential because there are reports that Joe Burrow met with Cincinnati officials over the course of the weekend to discuss the possible future going forward. And then immediately AJ Green gets franchise tagged. Was this Joe Burrow coming in and saying, if you're going to draft me to fucking Cincinnati, at least give me AJ Green? Yeah, absolutely. This is 100% what it was. It was, it's the Bengals kind of reaching out there and saying, okay, I think this, they, they, in the stories here, and this is, this is big news all over Cincinnati. Uh, not necessarily where the Bengals franchise came out and said, okay, we know that we are getting absolutely blasted nationally uh, on the media scene. Everyone, Hell, former players that are now analysts and talking heads, they're coming out. Everyone is throwing up these warning flags, pretty much telling you to abandon ship, get away from everything Cincinnati. I, this is this is certainly a way for the Brown family and the Bengals franchise to say, you know, we want to be committed to you. This is an opportunity for us to get back to a spot we were at a decade ago where we were regularly competing for playoff positioning uh, you know, making the postseason, but we want to move forward. We want to be able to to pretty much everything that we had envisioned with under Carson Palmer. We want to do under the Burrow era. What can we do for you? And he he told them. He said, "Well, what you have right now, what I can see, is in the cupboard. I would love to have AJ Green. Uh, I'm going to need that that sort of that sort of potential threat." Uh, one positive, as well as the Bengals have going for them, this is a franchise that is traditionally what they what they've usually focused on in the offseason is re-signing their own projects, and then they also go try to go. They, they really go to the uh, I'm going to say you know the, the discount bin or the goodwill of free agency, the hand me downs, the the ones that are worn out that you can still get a little use out of. That's been the mo here. It really looks like that. They are going to to make an effort to go get some of those. I'm not going to say that top tier, but some of maybe those higher profile free agents. As they have got quite a bit of cap room, 44 mil. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they try to surround Joe Burrow with there in Cincinnati. If that is in fact the the direction that they go. What's kind of the feeling in Cincinnati about returning AJ Green at eighteen million dollars? Again, this has become a case, and I've mentioned this to you a, a number of times. It, it's become a very personal situation where it feels it is the national media, it is everyone else against Cincinnati here, and this fan base is taking this very personal. So this is, in most cases, this is being welcomed with open arms. That they realize, okay, if if you can get AJ Green a, a, a few, you know, at least this year, or and then re up him, if you will, for a couple more years, if you can get that production back, and he can be that 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 Pro Bowler to stretch the field for you with a Mixon, who is one of the brighter up and coming running backs, you can fix that line. I, I think there is a sense of optimism, and there's a renewed faith in AJ Green that you haven't seen here in a while, or you haven't seen, you know, under the Dalton regime that people just want to believe so much in a potential successful situation for Burrow that they're going to buy into this thing. And w once again, you know, they're looking at these talents here and neglecting to realize this is still the same franchise. 
to me, I, I've seen this time and time again. This is the Browns just blowing smoke up everyone's rear end. Burrow needs to realize this. I'll go along with the national media here. He, he needs to he needs to draw a line in the sand and say enough is enough. And I, I think in a bigger picture, you know, we've seen this before. You've seen it with Elway. You've seen it with, with Eli. But I think with the attention given to this situation and the involvement society-wise with social media, Burrow is somebody that could make a true stance for what I've been screaming about. And it is the flaws inside of this draft. You look at this. I mean, where the hell else? The NFL even stands out more than all the other sports. You don't see it in baseball or really anywhere else. Maybe a comparison for for basketball. But when you work four years, eight years, your entire life to be the absolute best, you sacrifice, you dedicate yourself to be the very best in your profession. I mean, can you imagine this in anywhere else? Like you go to college and it's to be a doctor. And you get out of you know the the top universities. You're the tops in the field in the nation, and you are told your reward, your payoff for that, is you're not going to go to the finest clinics. You're not going to go study and work with the other finest in the industry in the field. You're going to the. We need to even things out and per, and provide a a perception of a fair playing field. You're going to the worst hospital in the world. How the hell does that make any sense in our society? Sounds like Bernie Sanders America to me, man. Yes. That, and that's what you get here. <laughs> I mean, Bernie really and, at, at the core of it, as you're, as you're talking about it, I'm just like, that's fucking socialism right there. Yes. The, the hell with everything. The hell with your dedication. The hell with your talents and what you can contribute to society or a profession. Not We have to be fair. Uh, we're just... You're, you'll be okay. You're going to get this big, this big payday. Don't worry about that. It's going to jeopardize your bigger payday and your future going forward or, or what it could do for the entire industry. You're, you're going to the worst possible, worst possible case scenario. That's what this draft is about. And people really step back and realize that put yourself in those shoes, the things that you have worked hard for in your life, the things you have dedicated yourself that you have dreamed about. And you get there and you achieve that. And the mandate says, no, thanks to your success. No, you, you're going to the worst possible case scenario, the situation. Then I started thinking even further about this. I mean, you, you look at these quarterbacks that are going to stand out. We look at this deep, this deep class. Who do you think in five years, where are we going to rank Burrow? I, I don't think he'll be in the top five. You think he's in the league in class. five years? I mean, essentially, the Bengals are going to own him for seven years. I've been saying regularly, I think he's going to be the answer, uh, you know, the butt of a joke or a bad answer for a bad trivia question. Yeah. Within that time. Yep. I think he's going to you be look a at who's Who is succeeding right now as your standout quarterbacks in the NFL? They go later, late mm-hmm. first round, second, further back. Jacob Eason. Kid out of Washington. He's going to light the freaking world on fire. Then you start, I mean, look at Baker Mayfield's class. Mm -hmm. Where is he going to rank amongst that? Right. 
we're, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about him in, you know, he's been in a couple years here, but five years after the Browns have done wasted him. Yeah. I mean, we remember Kansas city got Patrick Mahomes, the bears traded up to take Mitchell Trubisky. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it even further uh, trickle down here. I, I get it. You're going to play for national championships and all that. But if you're set up, if you're good enough to make the NFL, you're going to make the NFL, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're there, you're, you're going to find a way there. If you're that talented, and uh, the programs have things to do with that, I'd almost be more inclined to go play for a mid-major. Yeah. You know, find somebody that, that does have a program that is built around people that have had NFL experience and exposure, that know how to prepare you for that game, not just on the field, but off of it. But you're not under this national spotlight. There's not this pressure for someone like a Joe, you know, for a team to take a Joe Burrow. Where if you are a, a, a tremendous young kid, I'll, I'll say something that, that I saw that was, you know, I was very close to the situation here. And I'll go back to the Bengals are in this comparison. Carson Palmer, Heisman Trophy, Mr. Football, USC, National Championship, hopes, aspirations. You got you got to go with that. You can't miss. Then we had a little local guy around here that that had all the tools, but he didn't. He, he was on the national radar, but you know he wasn't the game of the week. You might catch him on a Thursday night. He, he might be, you know, all right, you might see him. He's third page news, and that's Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, same years, same years. Carson Palmer. What if, what if they would have switched positions? I mean, if you would have put Carson Palmer with all the you know the hype. And everything he had, oh, we've been talking about a potential Hall of Famer in, in Pittsburgh right now, just because of the franchise and the surroundings. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and Ben got that benefit because he went to Miami of Ohio. Aaron so Rodgers. Slid, slid in that draft. Aaron Rodgers fell all the way into the 20s when Green Bay took him. Then he went and sat behind Brett Favre for a couple of years. You sit there, and I remember I'm sure you remember clear as day, like it was yesterday. I mean, you felt for Aaron Rodgers. They continually are going to him and just that look of disappointment. Ultimately, it's the best thing that's ever happened to him. Absolutely. Yeah, and look at how much fucking money he has made in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Oh, uh, if he ends up going, you know, if he's, what was he, he, he was projected, what, like top seven? Yeah. If he goes in the top seven, right now he's not sitting on all that that cheese money, nope. And and he ain't rolling over, and and giving a kiss to Danica Patrick every morning. Yeah, right. Life's rough for Aaron Rodgers. You, you know who he is? He's Ryan Leaf, Matt Leinart. Yes. Let's uh, let's shift. Let's talk about the NBA a little bit as we wrap things up this week. I want to start things off with the New Orleans Pelicans. Huckleberry LeVar Ball made the rounds all around the FS1 studios the other day. He was on Undisputed. He was on The Herd. He was out there running his mouth about all of his sons and how great they are. Of course, you know, he has to put over Lonzo and what they're doing down there in New Orleans. Hell, he even said that they're going to they're gonna get the eight seed, and then they're going to beat the Lakers 4-2 to two in the first round. Get the fuck out of here. Come on, man. 
Uh, but he does have a couple things going for him. Leangelo Ball has been offered a G League contract by the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's been playing down there on the practice squad. Of course, he's still got a couple of years. Uh, he's one of the first kids that we're going to remember trying to go this G League route rather than going through the NCAA. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for him. And then there's LaMelo Ball, the potential number one pick in this year's NBA draft. And Huckleberry, he is playing in Australia. He's been playing internationally now for a couple of years. Uh, Here's the numbers uh, for this year playing down there in Australia, 2019-2020. He's played in 12 games, and he's averaging, um, let's see, one block, 82 assists in 12 games. Not too bad. Not too bad. 19.6 points a game three turnovers like does that sound like a number one pick to you uh, you know as you're you're listing off those stats there what, what comes to mind is the conversation we just had and that is the lack of star power and excitement inside of the ncaa college basketball right now i think if there's anyone that's benefiting from such a down year and potential down draft class it, it's the ball family here correct yes Absolutely it is. I mean, 72% free throws, averaging eight assists a game as a point guard, 19.6 points. Like, these numbers are not impressive. This is more of an indictment on NCAA basketball this year than it is putting him over. Just it doesn't seem very appealing to me. But one thing that they do have going on for him down there in New Orleans is the Zion Show. Rick, I I always tune in to watch The Luca Show. The Luca Show is my favorite show on TV right now. If the Dallas Mavericks are playing, I will tune in just to see what Luka Doncic does. And guess what? Now I'm watching The Zion Show, too. Because Zion Williamson is must-see TV, and I gotta say, this whole thing with him and Lonzo, that's working pretty well. Although, I'm kind of starting to wonder about Brandon Ingram, because Brandon Ingram went and made the All-Star team, and ever since Zion showed up, Brandon Ingram just feels completely irrelevant to me when I'm watching the Pelicans. It's all about watching Lonzo throw alley-oops to Zion, and Zion just goes in there and does whatever the hell he wants to do, because he's so freaking big. Rick, I've been saying for a while, I thought Zion was going to be a bust. I I think this is going to be lightning in a bottle. I don't think he's going to be a bust, but I don't think he's a guy that's going to be in the league for 10, 15 years. Well, yeah, absolutely. You have to wonder, you know, health-wise, you're going to have those issues, especially with that frame. They're really going to have to to nurture him. But living in the moment, this is absolutely what they were hoping for. This is the excitement level that that was supposed to be coming to New Orleans. He's averaging a point a minute. He's averaging 24 points in 24 minutes. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. You know what he is bringing to you know just not New Orleans, just not to the networks, but the NBA itself. And you got to believe you know everything that Levar Ball. The old man is out there hyping. Uh, the league itself is 100% behind this. You you imagine the the potential ratings blockbuster for a number one Lakers versus the, the number eight Pelicans? Yeah, it would be huge, but it's not going to happen. 
It's not going to happen in any way, shape, or form. Because last night, the Luka Show put down the New Orleans Pelicans. So the Pelicans are now five games back with 20 games to go. I just, I don't see it happening. You know, funnier things have happened. I I would say, I don't think it would outdraw, ratings-wise, I would put that series... If if they got Lakers Pelicans, I would put that series second in the NBA playoffs. I, I would number one. I think would be the Western Conference Finals. Then I'd go that that series. I think that would outdraw the finals. Interesting. The other problem for the Pelicans right now, in front of the Pelicans currently, are the San Antonio Spurs, who have been playing really good basketball here lately, the Sacramento Kings, who are starting to fall off a little bit, the Portland Trailblazers are still hanging around at that nine spot, and that is a freaking nightmare if you are a Lakers fan, because the last thing you want to do is face Carmelo Anthony and Damian Lillard in the first round of the freaking playoffs if they somehow find their way in there. And then there's the Memphis Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies still hanging on to that eight spot. They're 31 and 31, Rick. But this is really all about John Morant. John Morant is just an absolute spectacle to behold. It seemed as though he had the entire rookie of the year race wrapped up. He's got 17.6 points a game. He's averaging seven assists. And then Zion came on. Can Zion still win this rookie of the year? I mean, he's only played 16 games. Sex sells, man. I don't know. I still feel like it's John Morantz to lose, but I, I, I just sex sells. And when you other factors come into play besides numbers on that floor, you're going to have a lot of pressure, you know, when it comes to the voting from, from your, your sponsors, from especially your main advertisers, just moving your own financials, your global branding. I mean, which one do you want, you know, being bestowed that honor so you can go out there with that resume uh, and kind of pound your chest as a leak? Man, that's the kind of thing, like if John Morant loses the Rookie of the Year to Zion Williamson, it is going to put a huge chip on that kid's shoulder and then just watch the fuck out. Watch well, the he, fuck he, out. He takes that, it takes that into his positives, you know, that, that helps build him going forward uh, and gaining that star power. And I'd make those same arguments as, you know, we're talking about the rookie of the year. I think a lot of those same arguments would be made when we're talking MVP in favor of LeBron. LeBron is the MVP, as far as I'm concerned. I, I know Giannis is going to win the damn award. LeBron James is the MVP to me, clearly. I, I I don't think so much, Giannis. I, I, there's going to be some great discussion about that. And mainly for a lot of the reasons that I just said to support Zion, I give, I personally give the edge. And I think there will be those discussions because the business aspect truly is what, what drives these leagues. And LeBron is big business. Your, your Hollywood star is going to shine much brighter than someone in the Midwest. Uh, internationally, I, I know you have that international name there, but still, it's still based out of the Midwest. A lot more basketball fans in China than Greece. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's that simple. Uh, let's talk about the Lakers because it's going well, if they down don't all Friday. Die. What's, if they don't all they die. They all don't die. Yeah. 
hilarious. Um, it's going down Friday night, man. I, somebody might win the MVP Friday night. As the Milwaukee Bucks make their way to Staples Center, they're going to take on the Lakers Friday. This is going to be a huge week for LeBron if he is going to make a statement that he should win the MVP. Friday, it's the Bucks. Sunday, they've got the Clippers. Tuesday, they've got the Brooklyn Nets. Now without Kyrie Irving and, of course, without Kevin Durant. That'll be an easy one. But then Thursday, they have the Houston Rockets, who all of a sudden are just playing the most ridiculous basketball that I think I've seen in years. Yeah, again, I'm not buying in anything here with the Rockets. You know, they represent to me what everything that is wrong with basketball, and and they seem to expose themselves with that each and every year. So these little these little spurts of success for them, not buying in. I believe the Rockets got a big game themselves this evening as we're recording here. Yeah, they're at home against the Clippers tonight. Yeah, yeah, have the Clippers at home. So that's something definitely to keep an eye on. Rockets twelve and three since the Clint Capella trade. They don't have anybody on their roster over six foot seven. Russell Westbrook is playing out of his freaking mind, and he finally realized he can't shoot. So all of a sudden, he's just playing LeBron ball. He's just like, give me the damn ball. We ain't got anybody over six foot seven. Let's put everybody on the perimeter and spread everybody out as much as we possibly can and watch me drive this fucking ball right down their goddamn throat. And that is pretty much the entire game plan for the Houston Rockets right now. This is the best Russell Westbrook I've seen in a very, very long time. He finally realized he can't shoot threes, so he's just quit. Well, don't worry. Uh, the real season is beginning here, especially it, and this is where it really intensifies this home stretch these last 20 games or so. Uh, the Rockets will implode. The heads, heads will swell, and they'll return to Rocket basketball and once again – We'll be talking uh, and laughing about a disappointing postseason. Well, and here's the thing with this whole Spike Lee thing, right? That whole thing happened on a night when the Knicks beat the Houston Rockets. Probably the only signature win that the New York Knicks will have all fucking season. 125-123 over the Houston Rockets. And James Dolan throws a little pissy fit. Here's a word from uh, Spike Lee on on his thoughts on the rest of this season. Are you going back to a Knicks game this year? Not this year. Are you you concerned? No, no, I'm coming back next year, but I'm I'm done for the season. I'm done. He's done. He's out. No more Spike Lee in the garden for the rest of this season, Huckleberry. That just seems like... Spike Lee is the MVP of the New York Knicks. He's the only New York Knick that I can name over the course of the last 15 years other than R.J. Barrett or Porzingis, who they got fucking rid of. Like, what the hell is the Knicks doing? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's what do you think? What do you think it gets to a point that the league has to step in here? I mean, that that was one of my initial thoughts here. It's starting to feel like Sterling out in L.A., isn't it? A little bit, yeah. I, I didn't make I I didn't make that link there too, but it's a great comparison, Jarka. But one of the first things I thought of was, okay, I mean, when do we get to a point here? And, and you see this in in other sports where the league comes in and eventually just says, okay, I, I mean, we we've got to get you out of here. You're more detrimental to our sport than anything else. And we, we talked about this a couple times throughout our conversation today about how important that market is. Probably. The, what do you say in any sport, the most important market there is, period? 
Absolutely. Clearly, without a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. And you're going to throw Spike Lee out of the garden and then you wonder why Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving went to fucking Brooklyn? Like, you're going to throw Charles Oakley out of the garden and then you're going to wonder why Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving went to Brooklyn? Like, if you would have told me five years ago that they were going to start putting a super team together in New York, but it's not going to be the Knicks. It's going to be the Brooklyn Nets. I would have called you a fucking liar right to your goddamn face. What in the hell are the Knicks doing? I just, I, I don't understand. I, I, I don't think I'll ever understand. Huckleberry, one thing I am excited for tonight. Finally, the return of Steph Curry is upon us. Steph is back to help out the Awful Golden State Warriors. Um, Draymond Green got handed the keys and we, when Steph went down and Clay went down and Durant went to Brooklyn. And he has led the Golden State Warriors to a 14 and 48 record. But finally, the savior, the inventor of the half court three, <laughs> Steph Curry is back. You going to watch Steph tonight? Man, I think this is this is what I'm going to record. Uh, if I happen to be available or if it's somewhere that it's on, I will pay attention to it. But I'm going to record it because I, I do want to check out the minutes that he is going to get. And this we're talking about these positives and a league driven by stars. And we're talking about what second, third most popular player in the league. Absolutely. Uh, you know, even even coming back to you know a season that that is lost is going to create interest. It's going to create excitement. People are going to be tuning in for this thing. Uh, so welcome back, Seth Curry. Yes, I am so freaking excited. Now I get to add that into my rotation. So I get to watch the Zion show and the Luca show and the Steph show. And of course, the Lake show. Sometimes it's all the same show. It's like a big crossover event. Now they, they do have they do have Steph. He's on he's on restricted play, correct? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, Zion okay. was on restricted play too and that's kind of going out the window here the last couple of games. Finally, Huckleberry, I got to get your thoughts on this one. There is a possibility that Kevin Durant will join Team USA on the court in Tokyo this summer. If you are the Brooklyn Nets, how do you feel about this? I'm going a little bit deeper here. Let's look at some certain, let's look at different ties here, you know, and we were looking at these Olympics. There's, there are people we're seeing right now everywhere. What do you got over in, in Spain that they're talking about playing, you know, competing athletic events with no crowds. Yeah. I think in, Italy is doing that with um, some uh, soccer matches. Well, here in, in Ohio, uh, the Arnold classic, they have given in to, the the fear mongering media the, the the Arnold Classic has shut down the convention aspect of the show they're really? not going to be open to the public yes uh very surprising huge disappointment I was planning on going up there for some great coverage of the event I'm surprised uh, that I hadn't ha even heard about it this year that normally hits my radar yeah but they 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 shut that down that was supposed to be this weekend and to my surprise you know that, that I put out that the there was conversation about some other, you know, just countries, leagues, whatever, 
jumping into some people are really surprised that they're moving forward with the with the Olympics. I said, come on, we've got months to go here. This thing is, is being over exaggerated. We're, we're talking billions, billions of dollars on the line here uh, for them to just buckle to this absolute this this farce of an outbreak in the coronavirus. Uh, if you take a true star, diving deeper into this and get back to the point, who owns the Brooklyn Nets? Where are their huge business ties? In China, right? Yeah. China's taking all the heat for this coronavirus. If Kevin Durant, a, a huge international sports star, is going to support and say, you know what? Yeah, I, if, if they're ready to go, I'll, I'll risk everything. I'll go over there. I'm not afraid of anything like this. Is it more of a PR stunt? That's an interesting aspect that I hadn't necessarily thought about. Um, I was thinking more along the lines of just like the basketball aspect of it. Like Kevin Durant returns to the floor for the first time in a year. You're paying him, you know, $40 million to rehab this year. And he goes and he joins Team USA. Like, really? And then I thought about it a bit more and I don't hate it as much as I originally did because if you are the Brooklyn Nets, you want him to get in some reps before next season, right? Who better than with team USA? I mean, you know, they're not going to be hard reps. Right. I mean, you go over there. It's not like they're going to put, he's going to have to carry a team to a gold medal on his shoulders. We can go there and get away with four minutes a game. He's a part of this thing. He's, He's reestablishing himself. Even just uh, showing, practicing against those guys. Right. It, it, to me, all, all the way around, this, this is more of a PR move. And I, and I think it's, a, it's from helping out his owner to, to helping out, you know, kind of smooth over those rough waters with, with China. And even, even coming you know, to the fan base here in America, that, you know, how, the, that sense of pride. The, the, the great Patriots have, you know, okay, you know what? You had to sit out that whole year and he's still opting to go represent us. I think it's a great PR move for him. And, and people are going to, as, as you said, Jargo, it's not like he's going to, it's going to be overwhelming for him. Yeah. It's, it's not like he's coming back for game seven of a playoffs, you know, like it's USA basketball. You go out there, throw a couple alley-oops, the people go, ooh, ah, and you call it a day. Yeah, you get over there, and especially for him being so close to those markets that that his his franchise is going to represent. I mean, if you're in China, you're doing business in Japan. You're, I mean, you got, you're all over that Asian area. You want to be over there just, just for the PR ops. So we, we talked about the Luca show and we talked about the Lake show and we talked about the Zion show and the return of the Steph show. Are, are you watching much NBA basketball? Is there anybody that you feel like, damn, like if, if I see so-and-so is on, I'm going to go out of my way to watch it right now. Because right now, when I look at the NFL and I look at their future stars, they've got Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, a lot of people will go out of their way to tune in to see. I see Patrick Mahomes all the time because I'm basically in a Kansas City market. So it's it's just not that big of a deal for me at this point. But when it comes to the NBA, I think there's a lot more young stars in the NBA right now than there is in any other sport. Well, it's it's the marketing strategies from from both of those leagues. 
you know, where the the NFL is more of a uh, they're more of a, a WWES where it is the overall brand instead of identifying with individual stars. Are and, you saying Patrick Mahomes is Roman Reigns? I wouldn't go to that extent. I don't think. I think they. I don't. I don't know if if they would rather have him there. or They would try to push somebody else down, shove someone else down our throats. But, but overall, I mean, you, you don't have that comparison to the wide range of stars. You're selling more on teams and big matchups week to week. And I'd say you know just up there with Mahomes. I think he got Jackson out of uh, Baltimore. Is he must see how, TV to you? I think he's. I, I think he's growing towards that because of how dynamic. And his unique style of, of what that presents. Uh, I, I think he's growing towards it. So I think he could be on that level. And that's going to all be, you know, determined through the success of that franchise. But opposed to the NBA, yes, it is about star power. That's why you see them kind of grouping up together to just drastically increase their value. But I mean, I, as I look at, the generational stars, right? I mean, like you've got LeBron right now, and then kind of in that next generation, you've got the Kevin Durant, you've got Anthony Davis, you've got Kyrie Irving, and then as you go down even lower, it's like there's Trey Young, and then there's Luka Doncic, and there's Giannis, and it's just, I feel like there's so many stars in the NBA right now that if people just tune in to see them, you're going to be like, holy shit, he shot that from half court. And, and, and that's what it is. You know, it's more about that star than promoting uh, of, of the franchise. And you look at who they target. The NFL is going at a much older audience who has, who has come up team first, team first, team first. There is no I in team mentality. That's how they market that. You got the NBA going for the cord cutters, the younger millennial styles, where it, it's about me. It's about now. I need flash. I need flair. That's how you do that with the individuality. Did you see um, – it's funny that you say that. There's no I in team. Um, Shaq, during one of his Kobe speeches, uh, somebody was getting on Shaq, and they were like, man, Kobe's not passing the ball. He just keeps on shooting. And Shaq's like, I'll go talk to him. And Shaq goes over, and he talks to Kobe, and he says, Kobe, listen, man, there's no I in team. And Kobe says, yeah, but there's a me, motherfucker. Uh, people wonder why they couldn't get along. God bless the Mamba. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the other platform you may not be listening to, whether that be the HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, or Hameen Media online, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Make sure that you catch Huckleberry and I over the weekend for an all-new edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. And then Monday, inside the locker room, Huckleberry, we got to cover fucking Elimination Chamber. I am, like, if there was a show that... And I am just dreading watching. Like, I don't even know what the matches for this show are, and I just don't want to watch it. Oh, man. I had two wrestling things on my mind as we closed out here. I was looking back through our, our run and what we talked about. You know, going back, we're, we're looking at this new CBA for the NFL. An extended season, extended playoffs. What does it mean for the Royal Rumble? Ooh, that's a good point. And fun fact, probably the most intriguing thing about the Elimination Chamber right now. Did you know that in Germany, they cannot call it Elimination Chamber? Oh my Christ. What do they call it? I believe it's, I think that's, I think that's where they have redubbed the No Way Out name. 
because that's so much better. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. Alright, we'll talk to you over the weekend. For now. God, that's so awful. We're off like a bronze. See ya!